0: Hey, what's up? It's MJ. Want to snag a $100 Napa cab for 25 bucks? Wine Spies finds incredible wines at ridiculous prices. We're talking Zinfandel, Barolo, Champagne, you name it. Some of these wines are up to 75% off. It's not a club, so there's no obligation to buy. They even have a build a case option so you can mix and match wines and take advantage of free shipping on every purchase. Make sure you keep an eye out for their daily offer, because once a wine sells out, there's no guarantee it'll be back. Go ahead and check them out. You'll even get a discount by going to winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is Robert Bohr. Uh, Robert has an extensive history in the food and wine business. Um, he has, like, a whole highlight reel, but I'll just give you a few of them. Um, first of all, my boy Robert, and he's my boy because he's from Jersey, just like me. <laughs> he moved to New York City in 1994 to attend NYU, where he received his degree in political science. Um, he was on the path to law school, but during college, he worked at Gramercy Tavern, where he fell in love with wine and the complexity and history of this beautiful industry we all love and uh, continued to work at top restaurants in New York City. We're talking Michelin-starred restaurants like Babu, Nick and Tony, and Daniel. In 2004, he became the managing partner and wine director for Crew Restaurant, where he personally curated the cellar, which was composed of 120,000 of the finest and rarest wines in the world. In 2009, he started Grand Crew Selections with Roy Welland, Ned Benedict, and Elise Feffensteel. Hope I got that right. In 2013, he opened Charlie Bird with Chef Ryan Hardy, which is a hip neighborhood restaurant located in Soho, which has Italian-accented New American fare, wine, and art. And I saw a picture in his boom boxes. I want to get into that. Um, (laughs) Since... Then he has also opened restaurants with Pasquale Jones in 2016 and Legacy Records in 2018. And Robert currently lives in New York City with his wife Jordan, who was actually our guest on episode six, and their sons Henry and Ronan. Welcome, Robert. Is there anything else you'd like to add? That's it. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So Robert and I connected uh, through his wife, Jordan, actually. She said, you know, Robert doesn't do a lot of stuff like this, but I think you guys would get along and, uh, you know, and I'll tell him about you. And uh, so thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Matter of fact, I know I've only seen you on one other podcast and that's like yeah. the Mac Daddy. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I'll, a, took, I'll
1: drink to that. It took like 300 episodes. Yeah. You're, I, I
0: actually one. listened to it. You were episode 300. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming here
1: Um Tell us what we're going to be drinking tonight. So, you know, I figured you have access to all sorts of crazy stuff, and I thought I'd give you something that I'm sure that you never had because it was only made once and it was never commercialized. It was just a wine that was made for friends by a good friend of of both Jordan's and mine. Um, The Sess family, uh, Diana and Jeremy Sess, um, bought a bunch of vineyards in 2005, and I happened to be really close friends with them at that point and um, got to work on a, a vineyard uh, deal with them, which is really an amazing opportunity and privilege. But of from that large parcel that they bought was a vineyard um, in Nuit Saint-Georges, the Autoré vineyard. They've they they they've only made it in this one vintage in 2005 and then they, they sold that vineyard. Um, their partners in the deal, the Demonti family, kept some of it. Mm-hmm. And then it eventually went to Boisset and now it's a part of the Rougerie, um domain holdings. Um, so it's a kind of a cool thing that you've never probably seen and... Um, you know, if you work harvest or you do something nice, they'll give you a couple of bottles of wine, and that's where this came from. And uh, that's the you know outstanding, really one of the great vintages of the modern era, two thousand five. Um, it's a premier crew vineyard, Otoire, and um, yeah, it's, it's tasty.
0: It is tasty. It the color on it's amazing. It's two thousand and five. It's beautiful funk right now, um, starting to open up. Nice spice, and this is really special. So thank you, man. Oh, this is this is this is awesome.
1: So, man, um, you're from Jersey. Where'd you grow up in Jersey? I'm from Jersey. You're from Jersey. Yeah, I, I say Parsippany because most people don't know what Lake Hiawatha is, which yep. is like this like small little blue collar enclave within Parsippany, which now has kind of gotten to a place where a lot of corporations move to and they mm-hmm. use their as their kind of corporate campuses, and so Parsippany's become a little bit more well known. It's it's uh it's funny because well, I was talking to uh, Heather, who I work with, and she said, like, you know, talking about New Jersey, we're talking about from New Jersey. She's like, what exit? I said, ha, huh, 48, <laughs> you know, because that's that stupid question that everyone asks you when you're from, from New Jersey. But then I'm like, well, and I'm like, I don't even know because you ta- are you talking about Route 80, Route 46, Route 10, like yeah. 287, the parkway, the turnpike? Which 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 highway are you talking about? Because they're all different exits, you know, like, and then – Exit then,
0: 11 like, for the turnpike.
1: Uh, exit, exactly, right. <laughs> and then exit – 105 is where I grew up, but now
0: I'm next at 109 off the
1: parkway. So, so people, you know, they they try to like try to flex on New Jersey, but they don't they don't
0: know. They don't know. They don't know, man. So you're from a blue collar town in Jersey. I'm from yeah. a little. It was it was a sleepy little beach town. Um, growing up, Long Branch it was, it was you know, it was uh, you know all the people would come down from New York. We had the haunted mansion. Haunted we had mansion. the water slide and all that stuff. Um, so how does a kid from a, a sleepy little blue collar
1: town? End up with all that shit I just read you've done. <laughs> Listen, every day, I, I I couldn't, I can't answer that. Every day, I think to myself, how did that happen? My parents still don't understand it. You know, my, my dad was a telephone pole climber and electrician. And uh, we, we always used to talk about the types of work that you do. And you kind of can divide it into the people who shower before work and people who shower when they get home from work. <laughs> And, uh, there wasn't a lot of like respect in, in my extended family for the people who showered before work. Mm. So when I would come home from college for holidays and talk about working in restaurants or something, you know, my uncles would like check my hands and they'd be like, you got soft hands, <laughs> you're not working, <laughs> you know, there was a little bit of that. And so it's hard to say, but I, I, I was fortunate that I grew up in a family that really valued hard work and, and commitment and, um, and so I started working really at a really young age, and the the place where I can make the most money was in a small Italian restaurant in New Jersey called Villa Molise. And I started there, just before um, the spring of two of nineteen eighty eight. So I was I was just about fourteen, and I started. Did you did you have your working papers? Remember working no, papers? No working papers. <laughs> you could only work at fifteen, right? but it was yeah. all cash under the table, and it was nice. It was it was a different era and that's when we, we start talking about like wage labor disputes and all that it wasn't any of that shit you got paid as much as the waiter and waitresses or bartenders wanted to pay you right. at the end of the day based on how much you helped them yeah and that was it there was no like minimum wage There was no hourly pay there was you showed up you worked really hard and you hope they gave you your due yeah and i did that for four years and i learned a ton i missed out on a lot of opportunities when i was a kid and like a lot of f- fun stuff because i was working fridays and saturdays and holidays and all that stuff but I learned that the harder you work, the more money you can make. Yeah, and, you know, I just uh, – I'm listening
0: to some book now. It's uh, uh, 12 Principles, Jordan Peterson. There's some controversial stuff in there. But there's just some just really good, hard-nosed advice. And he said, you know, the longer you can delay gratification, uh, you will end up with satisfaction. <laughs> I was like, well, I wish I took that to heart. But, and something you said, like, Gary Vee is notorious, like – uh When I was working in New York, and then I worked over in Hoboken, um, our Skyrnix rep was putting together these tastings, and he would invite Gary, and Gary never came. I mean, dude, he's like, yeah, he's, he's on the hustle, yeah, he's he that time doing, for that he's shit. Grime, man. Also, <laughs> you know, and he and you know, so you talk about like missing out on stuff, but yeah. like, I, I I can appreciate. And you know, my father worked at the post office. And my grandfather was a mason, all you know, and like all the everybody was like work with their hands, yeah, and you know, and and but you know. My dad was funny. He's like, you know, uh, you know, one. He's like, you know, one day, uh, one time, he's dropped me off the airport. And he's like, you know, you know, uh, one day, if you're successful, you'll be, you'll be getting on planes all the time. So he, he he didn't want me to have to do what he did, but I admire that hard work and it goes a long way. So it's a very Jersey thing, yeah. to to work hard and you know, come from a family that values that.
1: Yeah, you can't take that away from someone. You know, you can, you know, you you can you can be less um dialed in or fortunate or have less access but if you know at the end of the day that you like laid it all out there you you worked hard you you deserved you earned that paycheck yeah there's there's nothing more rewarding than that even at a young age where you know there there were long hours i mean i worked a lot i worked even when i was 14 i worked a lot of hours and then i did that all the way through all through college and across uh, over that time there were there was no there's no roadmap. There's no, no pamphlet of how do you go from dishwasher to sommelier. It was just you were around people and you're in the dining room and you're feeling and you're getting a sense of what people are going to need over time mm-hmm. because you see it. Mm-hmm. And that, that notion of hospitality of trying to anticipate someone's needs is it takes a really long time to, to anticipate. And, um, you, you start to learn Body language and cues, and mm-hmm. as you're talking to someone, whether you're whether you're losing them or they're actually mm-hmm. totally following mm-hmm. what you're saying, mm-hmm. and those skills that you develop in those early years, even as a as a busboy or a barback or whatever it may be, you're seeing, you know how to walk in a dining room, you know how to see people, you know how to defer to the guest, how to get out of their way, all these things that then when you go work at a place like Gramercy Tavern, that's really hyper focused on hospitality in a way that it really is putting yourself. M- second right you're you're thinking about your team first and then then and, and, and your co-workers and you're already there in, in a way you have enough built in right you've gotten to that place that it allows you to focus on something like wine or, or learning about you know i was a, i got when i w- we started as a front waiter then i got promoted to a captain after really shaking down the manager and be like i need to make more money because i need to make payments to nyu every semester in order so i can you know to go to class so yeah i was going to ask you about
0: that so like you're working all this time yeah how'd you get in NYU? i mean obviously you're a bright
1: guy but like how did you manage that like in in high school working oh no at- in high school i was i almost i was almost expelled i've almost failed out my last <laughs> like i literally until the day of graduation i was on the border of being expelled i was a terrible student i couldn't i just didn't care but then i went away to for a year in colorado and i was um i was really went to ski and kind of like try to figure things out get away from where i was from and i was around a bunch of people who were even less motivated than me and i couldn't believe that there were people who just didn't care whether like they did anything productive that day and so after so then i retook the sats i did really well in those two semesters when i was in colorado and i transferred to nyu and by the time i got to nyu my parents one well, of my parents were like the, I was a bad kid. I got in a lot of trouble, and I had bad grades. And my parents were like, "There's no way that we're we're going to condone you going to NYU and living on your own in Manhattan, in New York City, right?" right. This is also like early '90s. Like, think about how fucked up New York oh, was I in used the to '80s. Saying, yeah,
0: I mean, and, and even early '90s, because then like like it was
1: it was stop and frisk, Juliana sweeps, <laughs> yeah, man, the sweeps. It was, it was it was it was crazy. And I didn't have to worry about that shit because right. you know, like I'm white, right. and, and you know, I don't, you know, the cops don't frisk you know no college white kids no. you know Thank so and i wasn't buying drugs like, and so, so you're like six feet over six feet tall I was like yeah. is he a
0: calvin klein model? yeah like, 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 like
1: they're not messing with me are you okay son yeah. and they're like and it was cool but at, my parents were like first of all we don't want you to go we right. think it's gonna be it's a bad idea you're just gonna get really in bad bad trouble not just like local jersey trouble but fucking bad trouble <laughs> and rikers is a bad place so you don't want to go there and if they're like frankly we just can't afford it we don't have right you know, even even then when NYU was only $20,000 a semester, which, by the way, is only like, – that's fucking insane, right? Yeah. That's, it that's took that's me nuts. 17 years to pay off undergrad <clears throat> debt. Anyway. Yeah. Sort of, I, we long, talk, we, we talked about that. I, I just yeah. paid mine off last year. And it's just Had nuts. to sell my house to
0: do it. But, you know. It's, right? and so,
1: it, it, it's crazy. So like, my parents were like, no, <laughs> there's just no way. And so by the time I got to NYU and I was working two jobs and I was commuting – there was no way I wasn't going to like squeeze every ounce of that education. So I, I like, I looked up my professors. I made sure that they had like good credentials. I talked to a bunch of people. I befriended the dean of our school who then con- connected me with John Sexton, who was the dean of law school at the time. Mm-hmm. And John and I connected. We really hit it off. And he became really my, my mentor, my protector throughout undergrad and allowed me to audit his law school classes at NYU. And he... Thanks to John, I have to say, I really um, I owe my current career to him. But I also I also owe um, this singular focus on improvement through education mm-hmm. because that's what he was all about when he was a kid, and you know probably the smartest person I've ever met. But by the time I got through the undergrad pr- program, and this I'm kind of cutting cutting through the chase a little bit, I worked all that time and all that stuff. I learned a lot about wine at Grammar's Tavern. But when I graduated. NYU, I took a year off um, to study for the LS- LSAT. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was working still at Gramercy. And John got me – I took the LSAT. I did well. John wrote my letters of recommendation, got me to a whole bunch of law schools. I credit John with all that, right? But because I had so much undergrad debt, I couldn't countenance the idea of another six-figure mm-hmm. education bill. Mm-hmm. Well, because there was – NYU has this amazing public service law program that if you go into public service, they'll pay you a stipend and give you debt for, and forgiveness. You, you don't. It's amazing. It's Root Tilden Snow Scholarship. It's unbelievable. Wow. But I didn't get it. And so I went to John. I said, John, I didn't get the, the Root Scholarship. I don't know what to do. And he was the one who told me, he's like, I've seen how much you love working in the restaurant business. I see you at – I was at Bob at the time. He lives in the building next to it. John doesn't drink, which is the craziest thing. But anyway, um and he's like I see and he's like the most important thing is is passion. If you love what you do, you know, it won't be a it won't be a job. And he said once you no longer love what you're doing, then come back to the law school. And as far as I'm concerned, if I ever if I'm still connected with NYU in any capacity, you will always have a place at the law school. So I kind of feel like I had like a free shot. Yeah, that's I mean, that's like a huge safety net and and to me it sounds like when I hear that story
0: it's like you know, your family, everybody's family, we have limitations, you know, unless you're brought up a certain way. And – but, like, it was it was cool. Like, it sounds like he gave you permission to pursue this. Like Yeah. You know I mean? Like, here's someone
1: you trusted who was successful, highly intelligent. The dean of NYU Law. He hey, I He clerked for Chief Justice Supreme Court. The guy had all the bona fides that one would look for in the law profession. And he said, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's – I mean,
0: I, I went because – I was hanging around a bunch of kids who went to schools like Wesleyan and Trinity and I was like well I'm at least as smart as they are and they're going to school I had no freaking you know I took the LSATs took a course over the summer got good enough and you know got into Rutgers and a couple other schools and it was the most economical but like I, you know like and obviously I wouldn't probably wouldn't be I wouldn't be here today but for going there but like it's just really when I hear that story, like to have someone of that stature, you permission to, to follow your passion. It's, and, and, you know, and coming from Jersey, working class family. I mean, to this day, my, my cousin's like, Oh, why don't you take, you can always take the bar. I'm like, Yeah, I, I took that shit like four times. Yeah. <laughs> it's not meant to be, you know, so it's just really cool. I think it's really cool to have that, find that mentorship. And, and, uh, and, and, and I love how much you credit him. Like I can hear the, 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 uh, the love in your heart for this man. It's really, it's, 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 it's you know, like help steer you to, your badassery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so much love for that guy that when flash forward a, a, a ten years later, I uh, proposed to Jordan. J- Jordan had just met John, and uh, we were with John's. You know, had a you know, we we uh, aside. He had a bad situation go down, and and Jordan said on the way way out of St. John, she's like, "Do you think John would marry us?" So, which by the way, it was like, I'm like, now I know I made the right call. Like that, <laughs> that, that, the woman I proposed to recognized how important this guy yeah. is in my life to make that call. So John Sexton ended up officiating our wedding. Wow, oh, man. Like that's how much he's in our life. Yeah. He's like. The, that, that's, that's, an, the that's incredible. That the, is the best. The, best, the best. I mean, that, that's just,
0: <clears throat> so, um, speaking of which, so Jordan, your wife, like she, she was on, she told us a little about like, how did you two meet? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> She told us some funny she, stuff. She probably
1: has a different version than yeah, me. Yeah, totally. That's why I'm
0: asking. I'm going to the other story. Yeah. You know, no matter how thin you slice it, there's always two sides. Like so. Tom
1: has a different version than Jerry about Absolutely. the chase.
0: You I mean, know what I mean? Wiley E. Coyote right. Genius has yeah. a different story from The Roadrunner. Exactly. So, you know? Um, and they and they coexist in the same space. I, honestly, <laughs> I
1: don't even know what I was thinking when I met her in 2003 like what was going through my mind that I thought I could punch that weight, but I just was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so she was working at WD-50 and I was – I am still. But at the time, I was really close with Wiley. I worked with him at 71 Clinton. And and I was going – it was like just a couple days before they were opening and I was going in there to talk some shit with Wiley or something. And Jordan was in – she was like taking reservations and she was reading a book that I had just – read and it was like a really easy like conversation to start up and she was like super engaged she wasn't snotty she wasn't standoffish she was like, genuinely engaged in having a conversation about this book and i was like wow you haven't lived in New york for very long have you like, you know what i mean like you're way too fucking nice for how beautiful and smart and engaged you are there's like no chance that you're from new york and so she wasn't of course she was from colorado and uh but to her credit she definitely didn't take the first i don't know Let's be charitable and say 10 offers to go out, <laughs> right? I don't know how many it was. And and I'm – by the way, I don't know what it was. Like, honestly, I still, still – this, to this day, I don't understand what got me to go there again and again. But I just was like, I'm going to figure this out. And then she became friends with Wiley's girlfriend, Liz, who was like really my best friend at the time. And I I asked Liz to bring Jordan into this restaurant where I was working. Because I know you have like home field advantage. If you're like the Salt Lake in a fancy restaurant, (laughs) you you got some magic. And so she came into Washington Park where I was working. We did some dinners. And then I invited her after that dinner to the James Beard Awards, which, come on, that's a pretty good ticket. If someone's interested in food and wine, she wanted to be a a food writer. The restaurant I was working with, the chef was nominated for something. You show up in a tuxedo, like the fucking roundest. Shortest, baldest motherfucker looks good in a tuxedo, right? So like, (laughs) I'm thinking like, I got some, got some game coming into this situation, and that was in April or May or May it was May I guess of 2003, and then we had a good time. We went out to dinner afterwards with some friends, a bunch of like fancy you know food wine people, and uh, then she moved to Colorado. So I then you know I was like fuck, like all this good you know juju I had going in from this situation. His halo effect, like, just waned. <laughs> he was like, I'm straight Mac this. And then we were like, Wait. bye. I'm like, huh?
0: <laughs> well, we kept life,
1: in, I took you to fucking James beer. But in the end, she, VIP. she... We kept in touch. And, um, yeah, it was it was over... Then two years later, she moved back to New York. Went to cooking school. And we kind of reconnected when she moved back.
0: She saw, She did tell a funny story about... Like she said, you guys kept in touch in Colorado, and you you became friends, and, and and you're like, and you would tell her about people you were dating. You're like, you're like, but if you come back, I'll leave her for you. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I, said, I said, and I said, yeah, that's that's Jersey, that's a Jersey line, of course. You know,
1: you fucking option.
0: <laughs> so I thought
1: that was great. Yeah,
0: and so um, so so then you know, so uh, she moves back. She's she going to school.
1: She, yeah, you know, she does a. Uh, she does a like a, a stage at Danielle and I worked at Danielle and I, Danielle and I were pretty friendly and um and you know, where it gets back to me she she did really well and they're gonna offer her a job and she's like, Yeah, I'm gonna take this job and so I'm gonna stay in New York and and but you know, when you're a stage at a four star French restaurant, you don't when I you don't get a minute off. Like you you know, you're you're only scheduled for twelve hours, but you work like eighteen hours, yeah. six days a week. You're just the lowest of low, right? Yeah. And then she got a real job in the kitchen, and so she was a cook in the kitchen. But still, it's still like, oh, you only have to work 17 hours then because you're not a stagiaire, but you're still just the low cook, right? So I didn't see her all that much. And also, I, was, I would just opened a uh, crew, mm-hmm. and that was like full contact, um, like an amazing experience. Got to work with really great people, great sommeliers, some really incredible talent, went through that restaurant. and um, But we would c- connect on Sundays here or there. And um, I was fully trying to impress her, for sure. Nice. For sure. She Mm -hmm. tells a story that she, like, comes by for a glass of wine. I open a bottle of, like, 1980 Henri Jai, which is totally true. (laughs) Like, you know, a bottle of wine that could pay our mortgage for a couple months right now. But, like, who cares? At that point, you're like, I'm fucking going for the kill. (laughs) And uh, I'm not sure that that made a difference, but like, you know, cumulatively, you know, you keep throwing it out there. It's like the water torture. Yeah. I mean, just just wear it down, man. Just wear wear it down. So Okay. Okay. I'll go out with you. So that, So then, yeah. Then. Stop opening all this great wine. No, don't stop. But. Yeah. And then two years later, we got engaged. And then 18 months after that, we got married and we waited a little while and we had Henry. Gosh. Eight years later. Shit.
0: Yeah, that's 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 awesome. So, Good time. Um, you know what? I want to talk about crew, but before we do that, I do need to take a quick break. So we're going to take a quick break right now.
1: Good, because my glass is empty.
0: Yeah, and uh, hang on, everybody. I'll be right back with a little bit more with Robert. If you follow me on social media, you know I love discovering and drinking new and exciting labels and winemakers. The Wine Spies offer wines like single vineyard Tempranillo from Amador County. Single Vineyard Mount Viter Zen from Peter Frannis. If you don't know who he is, now you know. Wine Spies has been gathering intel since 2007, so these guys are really connected in the biz, and that's how they can offer so many great deals. I love their locker feature. It lets you build a case over time, so you can check out with just one bottle and avoid shipping charges. They have a top-notch tasting panel, so I can rely on the wines to be great every time, which lets me play around and discover more. The spies always take care of me. So if I'm not 100% happy with the wine, they'll make it right. And just for the listeners of my show, there's a special black wine guy experience URL discount code for $10 off your first order. When you sign up at winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. All right, we're back. And so, um, yeah, I went I did a little bit of research. Uh, uh, tell me about Crew, like that, hundred and twenty thousand bottles of wine on the wall deal. I mean, how to you know? Crew
1: is amazing. Uh, I have to say, it's it was definitely um, it was a moment in time that won't get replicated. Sadly, it was at this real crossroads of of a time when n- <clears throat> not just New Yorkers but Americans were getting really into wine and. Not just into like 100-point Parker Cabernets and stuff. So people started to be really interested in Burgundy and some cool stuff from the Rhone Valley and Piedmont and all the things that I was really interested in. But it was still affordable, quote-unquote affordable to buy Burgundy, right? I mean – No, I know what you mean because I was starting a business in
0: 97. Yeah, and you could buy – nuts. I mean, you know, I mean you could buy crazy – Bourgogne's for like 15 bucks, man, oh, That mean. were like next polini Pellini Montreux or next
1: these Great Rain. I mean, we, yeah. still, we, we poured, sounds stupid, like Rouleau Bourgogne Blanc by the glass, which sounds like we also poured like Ramine Batard-Morche, but that's right. a different thing. But I mean, legitimately, Rumié Bourgogne Rouge, you could just, 25 case drops, now you don't even get six bottles. I mean, it's just a, mm. it was a different world and because the, the auction market was still not, it was still more Bordeaux focused, yep. Yep. you could buy Giacosa Red Labels for like 200 bucks a bottle. You could buy you know, this is going to sound really extravagant, but we bought a lot of seventy-one Latosh for a thousand dollars a bottle, which sounds like a lot, but now that's like eight thousand dollars a bottle, ten thousand dollars a bottle, right? right? It's just a different world, right? And so, and because Roy, the the owner, um, who really, like, I don't know why or how, but he trusted me to just do this and buy a bunch of wine, and and we put together a really deep seller. He he oh, his, he was a um, an options trader, and he had a he was just a He's a really, really smart guy. Incredibly, there's a theme. You you hang out with a lot of really, really smart yeah, guys. It's fucking bananas. And, and but he was before the there was software that could f- figure out the algorithms for options. He could do it in his head. He was just like a really gifted mathematician, and so he was just making boatloads of cash. So he, for him, like every hundred thousand dollar invoice from an auction house it was like a rounding error it just didn't matter it was just fun <laughs> and and he was really into it he was really interested in like learning about wine and being with the right being with the right winemakers and spending we spent a lot of time in france and in italy and we had a great time together we traveled all over and he just really trusted me to to do this all this fun stuff and and he was always now, just why do you good think time. that is
0: though i mean i mean i think do you think it has to do with like just because you're he saw you're a hard worker, your greediness, you know, I, I mean, what I mean, I, you know, I, and you talk I, about hospital, like I, when you talk about hospital, you really talk about, you talk about putting people before you. I mean, do you, I yeah, mean, you just
1: what, think, yeah, that's, I think, I, I think what it is was, you know, he was opening this restaurant called Washington Park with Jonathan Waxman and Jonathan and I had, had already worked together and I had done a wine program with him and, and I worked at this restaurant in the Hamptons called Nick and Tony's and at the time in the late nineties, it was really like this, these, these spot, right. And. I was young. I was, I was a somebody, I was like 24 years old working at Babo and, and then I worked at Nick and Tony's the next summer and so I was young where I got to meet all of these, these people and I, I had a lot of Energy mm-hmm. and I was enthusiastic and I was I was genuinely curious about not just wine but I was curious if people liked it. I wanted to I wanted to show that that what I liked they should like too. Isn't that the best when people? Oh like my it? god! The immediate gratification it's, it's like a to- it's a, it's it's the big it's the worst drug in the world, right? 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 Because that 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 immediate gratification feedback loop you crave yeah. and you keep wanting right. to do it, right? And um, and I, I don't I don't I should I never asked Roy this question, but I I don't know why. But he did, and he was incredibly generous with with me and all of our friends. And anytime a winemaker came in, he we we could open whatever we wanted, and it was really great. And so we created a really impressive wine program, and uh, it wasn't just me. I had great people I worked with. John Slover, who's now the corporate wine director for the major food group at like the Grill and Carbon, worked with us when we mm-hmm. opened. Michel Couvreur, who was the wine director at Le Bernardin for 10 years, came to work with us. Raj Vieda, Vedia, who became the chef sommelier at Restaurant Danielle, worked with us. Uh Josh Nadel, who works now for all the... Lafayette, Dutch, Andrew Carmelini restaurants, we all kind of worked together. It was like, an amazing like, You crew. are seriously like a team of wine you were, you've, you've, oh, you've worked with, man. It was, cra- it was a crazy time. And, and the reason why it was so – we also – Roy didn't really care about making money off of the wine. He cared a little bit. We wanted to cover costs, but he wasn't like trying to gouge people. So right. like a $1,000 bottle cost, we could sell for fourteen or 1500 bucks right. instead of – Instead of 3000 Or 5000 yeah. yeah. Right? And so <laughs> – Right. And so as a result, people would come in and just order an amazing amount of wine. So you really did shit. to foster the whole
0: really food and wine experience and when taste you do that. everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. And taste. What I mean, I taste everything, and it was a great education. You know, I wasn't even thirty.
0: Yeah. So when we talk about because I, I I had a similar experience. I worked at Acker. That was my first. I only worked there for a year, but literally, it was like you're going to drink the finest wines in the world on a nightly basis. So I'd work in the store for 12 hours and I'd go upstairs and pour for the wine workshop. And right. and I would have 29 Latour, 59 Latour, yeah. 61 Latour. And I, you know, I'm a uh, best ball had at that point was like Fetzer Gewerzmeter, you know what sure, I mean? like, yeah, yeah. And, like, and then like, and I would taste Latash verticals and, yeah. and you know, back then, um, John was really into the, the cult wine. So yeah. we, we'd have screaming Eagle and Harlan and everything. Yeah. And, and like, that was like, you know, I went to a private taste someone's house. We had, we had a, um, we had a Reos and we had the first vintage of uh Synquinon back to, I mean like, the, like, and so I see today there's like, first of all, so many of these wines these wines are so scarce, one, yeah. and and the price is so much like yeah. a lot of these young psalms you see who are really into their certificates and everything yeah. like but they haven 't had the opportunity or'll never have the opportunity to taste some of the wines you 've tasted so,
1: it's really it, no it's, we, 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 we lament this fact all the time like you know there 's a bunch of people, kind of my generation was like maybe the last the, the, the people who came before us, the Daniel Jonas era guys. You know, and I say, guys, unfortunately, because I only, I only knew two women sommeliers in New York sure, City sure. when I was kind of coming up, and they were amazing, but there weren't there weren't that many, right? right. Uh, in fact, there weren't that many sommeliers when I started working the restaurant business. Well, that's and the you, thing in nine in the nines, like late nineties, you there couldn't name ten. Yeah, you couldn't name nope. ten. No, nope. nope. you know, and I they're heard. all French, and they're all you yeah. know, and they're all worked in Midtown, the, yep. that like, French mafia. Yep. But then you exclude like Boulet. that was the only carve out right. to to that, right? Um, I guess Chantrelle too, but yeah, but in general. The soulmate thing is relatively recent and it's kind of gone you know has its ebbs and flows and and right now it's obviously in a really tough spot yeah it's it's it's, it's in a it's in it's, a, in a, it's tough spot. In a, a bit of a pickle yeah
0: um you know um so you, you you build up crew,
1: you do that, and then like what what was what what did you do then? What did you do next? Yeah, then you know, you know the world economy cratered, and people couldn't spend thousands of dollars on their corporate cards, and you know it was also even if they could afford it, it was kind of garish to be out there, you know you know let them eat cake. Was, you know what I mean? to, <laughs> let them eat cake. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> so it wasn't you know there were people like hey listen I want to I want to order this bottle of wine, but you can't put the bottle on the table. You gotta right. like yeah, decant it, yeah. in the kitchen and bring that. <laughs> The canter out and and I'm like okay I don't what do I care yeah. but they, it was out of fashion at that point so you know a restaurant that had like a three hundred dollar per person check average went to under hundred and that f- fucks your shit up Ooh. right in a really big way and so um and I also you know it was just also a lot a lot was changing at that point there was there was you know I I left crew to work with Tom Colicchio to kind of oversee all of his restaurants. And do kind of top Tom know the beat. guy who's on TV all the time. Yeah, <laughs> top chef, good guy. Also Jersey. Yeah, same, just, I'm just saying. Same, I'm just, just throwing same, it out there. Just same. same. Just, same. Just, so another great dude. Jersey I mean, it's guy. Just,
0: this is just like this is like I'm, I'm trying to think of a sports analogy of someone, but you don't get to play with so many great like you it's have, like dream team yeah like dream he, yeah, team exactly. you know what I mean it's you like 92 dream, dream team, team yeah. of hospitality <laughs>
1: and Tom's great and by he's super motivated about politics right now I love talking to him about I mean, he's like really dialed in and he's a sharp guy and I worked there for, for a little over a year but at that time Ryan Hardy who as I said so we, Jordan and I got married in Aspen we used to go to the Aspen Food and Wine Festival all the time we kind of lived so in the for little a guy n-
0: who grew up in Lake Hiawatha yeah.
1: your life is not sucking no it's, by, by, by no, it's embarrassing it's I can't even I don't even why I don't do a lot of this is it's hard to talk about this because it's kind of embarrassing I don't tell my folks about like sure. shit like that it's just kind of yeah. ridiculous so Ryan was the chef of Little Nell, and we would do we would do all is these that. Bobby, things. that was a was one of Bobby's or uh, Little Nell is Little Nell is a hotel in Aspen that's okay. like really like the place, right? right? It was like it was ground zero for all the events of food and wine. And Richard Betts was the wine director there okay. at the time, and. We had just a fucking why, blast. Why, you know, Dustin was on. Dustin, like, yeah,
0: he was. Yeah, he was. Why were so many fucking psalms in, in in Aspen in Colorado back then, man? Like,
1: well, because for Quality life though. is pretty good. Yeah, right. It's be. pretty good. You know, it's nice in the winter. It's nice in the summer. You get two months off because the hotel is closed, and there's this there's uh, this master sommelier. Um, Jay Fletcher, who kind of groomed a lot of master sommeliers in Colorado, and you—if you lived in Aspen—you could really get a lot of one-on-one time with Jay, and he's a lot of fucking fun. But you could—you could—it's like you had a, a mentor-like program to to try to pass that test. And so Dustin, for sure, went through the Jay Fletcher program. Yeah. Um, you know, Bobby Stuckey, mm-hmm. all these guys—you know—all these really great people. Spent a lot of time with with Fletcher, another guy
0: who's politically dialed in. And Bobby's just... one of the
1: greatest human beings alive. Like I mean, one of the uh, most soulful, decent the, the guy. The guy bleeds hospitality. He you know, he doesn't put himself second. He puts himself. He's like the last guy. Right. He's just such a, an amazing human being. I, I couldn't say enough things about him. So anyway, so we're so Ryan and I became really close friends at the Nell. He really hooked it up for us at our wedding in 08 when we got married in Aspen, and uh, and then as a gift to Ryan... We did your family come out to the wedding? Oh, yeah. Dude, they, were, they, were, they, were their minds just... Blown. I mean, can't even talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I was bringing, like, Magnums, of 62 Rumier Bunmar for my bachelor party and shit like that. And my parents are like, we're like, I'm like, no, it's just kind of... You just got to, like, let it go. It's how these guys roll. It's cool. you know, whatever. But Bobby Stuckey and Frosca did the food at our wedding, right? Okay. Like, it's like, like that, right? And yeah. So, so Ryan, the next year, as a thank you, we took him to Alinea... Um, in Chicago, and while we're there, he's saying, "You know, I really think I'm going to leave Aspen because it's going to get a little small. I'm either going to move to San Francisco or New York to open up a restaurant." And I was like, "Like, all right, cool." You know, we kept in touch, and when he's, you know, he started uh, dating his woman from New York, so it looked like New York was more likely. And uh, I was like, "Why don't Why don't we talk about this?" And so we started looking at spaces, and I was still working for Tom, but it's I hadn't. I hadn't been an employee in a while. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, it's hard to go back from, you know, um, and I love working with Tom and he was great. Mm. But when you're in a restaurant with a celebrity chef, like the wine isn't even second fiddle. It's like they're like, I'm like, would you care for this or this? I'm like, we don't really care about wine. Is Tom here? And I'd be like, <laughs> right. I'm going to go fuck myself right now. All right? Like <laughs> I'll make sure your water glass is extra full, but I'm going to like get the fuck out of here. So at some point I had to figure out how do I get back into right. owning restaurants. I was doing a lot of private wine consulting at the time and that was that was kind of paying the bills and that was keeping you know my wine cup full. But it was not that gratifying. Right, right you know what did you what did you do were you like a wine buyer
0: broker for people so something?
1: like so early on like even before crew i started doing some private wine consulting for a, a, an amazing guy who was really he really fundamentally changed my life of that john sexton level changed my life and so he um put me in touch with a bunch of really great people and so i had a business it's called we started called grand crew wine consulting and um we end up growing into a bunch of maybe too many clients, and then I kind of spun that off, and I still do wine consulting. And um, Grant, who is the wine director, partner of mine at, at the restaurants, and Arvid Rosengren, who when we were working together in 2016, won Best Sommelier in the World. Uh, he's from Sweden. So the three of us have this wine consulting company called King Street Sommeliers, and we still manage like eight wine cellars around – mostly New York-based, but everyone has like a house in Aspen or Miami or – Wherever someplace fancy. So we do a bunch of that stuff. And that gives that's when you get to drink really fancy shit. Right. Like really extra fancy. Right. Even for a guy who's like kinda jaded, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed to drink like the same shit you've had fifty times, but then every every once in a while you're like, I've never had that bottle of wine. yeah I'll make the trek and I'll open and I'll be the I'll work that that
0: event. Uh, That's a that's a fucking problem to have. It's a problem to have. Like, ah, I don't want any more Chablis, Hermitage. Yeah, the- I, I, you know many times I've had Chablis, Hermitage,
1: but I haven't had that vintage. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's that's really. But cool. then and it gives also gives you the opportunity when you ha- are in those positions to to bring on one or two friends of yours who didn't haven't had those opportunities, right? And so it's actually a really good thing, and that's um, one of the best things about wine is is is, is the people who are opening bottles in general want to share them.
0: Yeah, uh, particularly at that level. I mean, it, it, the they want to they want to open them, they want to share them with people who really appreciate them, yeah. and people who can actually educate them about them. Yeah, and and
1: and it sounds like you're that guy. So yeah, and so that's and that's one of the best things about the consulting thing. And we we get to bring in some some friends of ours, like you know Cedric, who's the wine director at Lev Madison Park. I'll have like, hey Cedric, we're gonna do this like ridiculous dinner, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you free? He's like, I can get free. Right. Yeah. And so he'll so come right, and join right, or right. or whoever it is. And, and we just have a bunch of friends who will just like kind of like tag along and open up some wines and makes our job easier. And we just all just get blasted.
0: It's nice, good. nice, nice. So,
1: so then, so
0: you and Ryan, you're staying in touch. He was dating a woman in New York, but then like it was, but then like you start looking at spaces. And- it was
1: for bases, And it was hard, it was hard to, to for, for. It was just like 2012. We had like a couple of spaces like we were like locked in and then they're like, no, the landlords were like, no, you guys don't have enough credit worthiness. I mean, it was really nuts, right? We, had, we finally ended up finding this space on the corner of King Street and 6th Avenue that became Charlie Bird. And uh, because of this private consulting business, I, I met a lot of kind of high net worth individuals and a bunch of people that I know pretty well. And... Every time they'd say, you know, hey, if you're gonna do something in the wine, you're gonna do something, you know, open something, let me know. And Ryan, we had a lot of overlap because he was in Aspen. A lot of my clients have houses in Aspen, and so we just cobbled together. Yeah, rich people hang out in the same in the places. Same places. Yeah, yeah, for they sure. Really they really do.
0: They have a house in Montecito. They got and there's a like the, there's and... like the
1: rich guy kit, and a part of the rich guy right. kit is you got to have a plane. Yep. You got to have a vacation house. You got to have a wine cellar. Yep. And you got to have an art collection. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so I'm a part of, I'm a part of that kit. <laughs> rich guy kit, and so. And so we so we say you know we're going to do this restaurant and um, we get end up being like nine of our friends who are financial partners and we open Charlie Bird and and it was just and the things I wanted to it was it was kind of a reaction to the, the kind of staid formal buttoned up nature of crew I wanted to do the opposite. Right so boom boxes. Yeah so we so Ryan and I both love hip hop. <clears throat> love hip hop. Like I like Pock or Biggie Oh come on, stop. I know, come on. I, I know either. it's a bad one. I mean I mean don't get me wrong, Pac's fucking next level, but but if you're from the East Coast, exactly. it, just, it just is, right? That's it. Especially nineties. You're like a college kid in the nineties. I lived oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. lived in Brooklyn when yeah were Yeah,
0: exactly, like, man. I so, mean, that was a that we gotta digress. That was a like, a like that was a crazy era. I mean, DMX. I remember listening to like DMX mixtapes. Bought out the trunk in Brooklyn because my roommate from Los was in Brooklyn. We come okay. home. He lived in 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 uh, Fort Green when it was really Fort Green. Um, he <laughs> lived and like, yeah. literally like you know I mean Helter Skelter, uh, Black Moon. Uh, oh. I mean just on and on. Nasty Nas. Oh. Oh, I mean just <sighs> when you
1: know it came out, I was like, nuts. I, I mean, yeah.
0: da- like I don't know what this shit they listen to nowadays, but like that was that was the golden mid nineties New York City golden era hip hop. I, I I will fight you. I'll fuck you up. You did, you can say what you want, but you know. Ninety
1: three, ninety four. If you think about the albums that came out in ninety three, ninety four, you got Ready to Die. You got Illmatic. Yep. You got um, tr- um, Unbelievable Tropical. I mean, you, Al- got, you had you had
0: You had so good. Craig Mack gets lost in that yeah, picture. No, no,
1: now like, L Cool J was dropping yeah, out <laughs> I no. mean, like it was like Wu Tang Clan came out that Wu-Tang, same year. Ten, oh, like yeah. think about it. Like all of a sudden you started like <clears throat> some of the g- top great top ten greatest albums came out in an eighteen month period. Yep. And you're going to say, like, oh, no, the best right. period, period is, like, 98 or some yeah. nonsense. Like,
0: stop. Nah, stop. Quit yeah. playing. The boys would have got chopped down, you know? Um, so,
1: anyway, so, so yeah, yeah so, so that is not like crew. Right, know, not like crew. <laughs> so, so, what I said, to, what Ryan and I said was, I said, listen, there's there's a few things that are absolute non-negotiable. One, we have to have glassware, this. We have Zalto glassware, um, which kind of... And that was a big statement because there was no four star restaurant using Zalto exclusively. Wow. E- even even though although some was like the brand ambassador, Le Bernardin wasn't using them exclusively, mm. Et cetera. So the idea that a neighborhood restaurant would have Zalto. The other thing was like we have to have refrigerated, temperature controlled wine service, no matter what. Um, we're only going to play hip hop. And and that was it. Like there was like there, there was were non like there was. Were, they were non-negotiables. Ryan's like great. He was like, "What are we fighting over?" I'm like, "We're not fighting over shit." I'm just telling you, when push comes to shove, and if like, you don't know now you know. So, and so he was great. And so you know, I used to when we first opened, I would just play uh, songs for my iPhone, mm-hmm. and I would like kind of fuck up the like. I'd play. I'd have like because this is when you had all your music on your phone pre like Spotify, like everything you just had it. Oh in yeah, your yeah. Phone. I mean, like, I, I had it. I had it. Like, what was it? What had it? IPod. iPod, yeah,
0: that shit was thick. thick now, yeah. I mean, like
1: now your phone can hold more than your iPod, but yeah, but you but, felt, you, could, you but now you don't even have any music on your phone; it's all streaming. Yeah. And so I would play all that stuff, and I'd like put together a playlist, and I'd and I'd just go ahead, and if if it, were, if it was like too quiet or too loud, I could adjust it. But every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, be like, yo, we need. We ran out of cranberry juice, and I have to go across the street to the deli to get some cranberry juice. And I forget the phone's in my pocket, and I come back, and there'd be no music in the house. <laughs> and you know, we're like bumping right, shit, right, right. and all of a sudden it goes it's like perfectly quiet. It's just like and I, I mean, walk it, in, I'm back, back in the day, they were like scratching a record, and I like did it all yeah. the time. And, and, and at some point, the bartender, a guy named Charlie, who, who's amazing, who's, he has a company now called Audio Culture, that does playlists for restaurants. He's like, "Yo, let me let me make a playlist for you guys. Maybe I can do that." And so he ended up from that on after like maybe the first year did our playlists and and we i would talk to him i'd be like charlie you can't have the you, you can't you, you know you can't play this you, this, you can't start it can't be like six o'clock and there'd be like a bunch of gunshots you know what <laughs> i mean like listen i'm all for it but you just can't you just can't like you know, the restaurant can't be like half full with families and there would be a whole bunch of gunshots you know what i mean that's just not cool just you see, gotta like. You oh, know, that's hilarious! So, so yeah, only only hip hop, only really. I, th- I tell you, the old school hip hop was really what we did at Charlie Bird. We mixed it up at Pasquale Jones with more like soul R and B and kind of like kind of like stepier hip hop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then uh, Legacy was a little more contemporary, and so we had different kind of musical styles. But for me, Charlie Bird was it was a spot because we could you could drink you could drink. You can drink a bottle of Bunmar, eat a roast chicken, listen to hip-hop, and wear like a T-shirt and yeah, jeans. Yeah, that's
0: not, that's not anything I'd ever seen.
1: And I thought to myself, well, if I want that, right. I want to be able to go out in a restaurant, drink incredibly well as well as and be served wine correctly. Have it, Make sure that it's served at the right temperature, that it's decanted when it needs to and not when it's not. And all the things that are about correct wine service, eat simply but really tasty food mm-hmm. and be in a fun environment that looks good. And I'm like, why is that – why did not, Why is there – that Venn diagram doesn't exist right. yet? Right. And we didn't know. We got kind of – got. we got beat up a little bit early on for playing hip-hop and trying I'm to sure. surf it. Because again, like no, not that many places were playing like legit hip-hop in, in 2013 uh, at this kind of level.
0: Still playing Bust a Move.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> and so we got beat up. People were like, I came to this restaurant thinking you'd be playing jazz. I'd be like, why? Oh, it's Charlie Bird. Charlie Bird. I'm like – Get the fuck out of here. Like, no. <laughs> and then we got, we kind of got beat up for it a little bit, but it did not so matter. That raises a
0: question that's, that I had asked uh, James, Jay Moles, um, like, concert. Like, he saw Rock Hammond concert. What's like the best? I know, I was like, what? You sucking for Rock, rock Hammond? Like, what's the best hip hop show you've seen? Uh,
1: I mean, probably the most formative, I, I saw um, Public Enemy play Roseland in 1990. One that's a good one, and they had Anthrax come on and do that, like yeah, yeah. Then. But I have to say, maybe the best shit I saw was Jay and Nas together. Um, that was pretty special. The, the two of them, post beef, they're friends and really like working together. You know, and that yeah. was pr- that was that was some of the that was some of the best shit they did. Jay did a concert at Webster Hall um, B sides like two years ago, a year and change ago. Maybe it was even two years ago. And the t- the two of them, Nas came on, and it and it was a total surprise. Everyone just like lost their shit, and especially in a venue like Webster Hall, where it's like really small and intimate. Well, I saw Lenny Kravitz here. That's crazy. Oh. That's a great place to see like badass acts, yeah. right? Like,
0: <clears throat> saw Lenny there a couple years ago, and it's like, it's great. It's great, you yeah. know, to see like You're people there. can fill stadiums. Yeah, yeah. Playing In small an venues. intimate venue. Yeah. And, and you know and. You know, Lenny's from New York. Those guys, guys from New York. Yeah. It's so the crowd is just hyped, hyped. extra hyped,
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, like, there's that's the difference when you go to like, I don't see hip hop shows in New York anymore because you go to MSG or you go to Barclays and you're going to like this Jay show and you're like, you're in the you're five rows from the front and you're around you're, you're around the Fortune 500. Oh, wow, totally. And no one has ever if, totally. you, if you said rank the top five Jay albums, they'd be like. I don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, reason doubt's not even in there. Exactly. i have even heard of reason. I'm an
0: American Express My I get tickets. I get t- first crack of tickets or my office got tickets exactly. and shit. And so as a saying? result,
1: it becomes like a country club event and none of the people are getting what's coming off the stage. Right. And as a result, the artist doesn't feel the, the energy. energy coming back yep, to them. Yep, yep. And so the, it's always shitty. But I'll, we fly to Cleveland. We flew to Detroit. We've seen a bunch of like We went to Atlantic City. One of the best J shows I've ever seen was in fucking Atlantic City because the air was it was fucking raw. Everyone there was like – they were like out for fucking blood to get close to the stage. It was great. And people were dressed out. Like it was an event. Right. It was awesome. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That's what's cool about, about again, a lot of these – I mean that's the best thing about wine for me is that you get introduced to people. Hey, did you ever come to your restaurant? Because I know he's a pretty big wine drinker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oh yeah. And especially Pasquale Jones, yeah. but um, but now that he lives in L. A., we don't see him as much. But um, but uh, I'm not talking out of school. There's a lot of media and shit about him coming to our restaurant. So I'm not. Oh, okay. Like, you know, yeah, no, no. You know, no, I don't, I, I, I don't I, drop I, dimes on people who come to the restaurant. and keep it like no. I, but there's a lot of paparazzi outside the restaurant. I'm when sure. Those guys are there. I so. know.
0: I can imagine, man. Yeah, no. But um, but it just seemed like a place like you know. He's going to be in the know, and he's like, yo, this place down in Soho, and you know, they they yeah. playing hip hop, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, that's good. You know? Yeah, that's good. So, no, that's, um, good. that's dope, you know, that And he came. And you get
1: to meet all these people who, who are the best at what they do, and no matter what it is, they can be basketball players, right. they can be musicians, they can be, fuck, they can be hedge fund managers that are just like of a next level you're way like, of thinking. Huh? And like, exactly. And they want to talk to you, and right. you're like, Really? Okay, I'm, I'll talk to you about wine.
0: Right, and that's what's cool. Like at that level, like you said, you're dealing with the best in the world. Like when I worked out in, in Montecito, you know, um, there's a polo club, and so like, of course I, there is in Montecito, you know. Shit. So like, you know, I, I, you know, Tommy Lee Jones came right, in. Right. He would stay, he played polo, and right. and, I, and, I, and he came to the wine store. He's like, young man. How's this bottle of wine? It's like a '69 Mondavi. I'm like, it's it's an iconic wine. Yeah, right. All yeah. right, I'll take it. You know what I mean? It's... And even just working at Acker, just on oh, yeah. you know, by the all the people coming to Dakota, like. And oh, yeah. I heard you say something like the the thing is they really love is when you just treat them like a regular person. Oh, do that. And same. they and they geek you out because. You're, they're like they, – like, if you're in that restaurant, that place, like, well, this person knows wine. So like you said, it's game-recognized game and they love it, you know, and it's a really cool thing. And you just treat them like regular people. I mean people
1: like – Yeah, you got to treat them like regular people because they want to be treated like a regular person. Because they, they kind of are. They're just they're, really good at what they do, the, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I, I've i said this, you know, and it's kind of an arrogant thing to say to someone. But I'm like, I'm as good at what I do as, as you are what you do. And yeah. so like I'm, I'm not here to like – I'm not. I'm not looking at your sh- shoes. Like I'm gonna look at you in your eye because, like, we're right. I, I'm not. A, I'm not ashamed of what I do.
0: Exactly. I,
1: you make a lot more money than me. You have a lot nicer shit than me. But I'm good at what I do. Right. And I'm not embarrassed yeah. that yeah. that I chose this path that doesn't remunerate me. That society doesn't think that hospitality professionals should make as much as. People in banking. And and I'm not saying that those people are wrong. No, I know exactly what you're saying. They're not bad people for making a lot of money, but I'm not less worthy because I don't make as much money. Right. And so I I just don't, I never, I'm never, I'm not ashamed.
0: And that's also, I think, a Jersey thing growing up. I was like, you know, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Who the fuck do you think you're talking to?
1: You, you better fucking recognize exactly <laughs> you know
0: so that's really cool man yeah. um yeah i mean that's that's exciting so you 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 doing that thing and you you got uh, you know incredible concept and it's, it's on and popping and then you go you know what uh you know i need a new challenge
1: <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> <laughs> not at all you talking about pasquale jones or you're yeah, about- yeah, yeah, yeah. pasquale jones was i have to say pasquale jones was an easy next step for us cuz again Ryan and I see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. We kept saying, "Like, let's have a place where we can eat a great roast chicken and drink a bottle of Burgundy." That is, that is like, that's simple. That's it. That's it. I, 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 and I saw an episode. Somebody feed
0: Phil, and he was in Paris somewhere. And there's this restaurant where they they have this wood burning oven, and it takes only like 40 minutes. And it's just all they put on is duck fat, and and then they give you like the crazy what are those crazy whipped potatoes that are twice baked? What you know, you you know, yeah. And then and then they also give you frites. Yeah. And then you, and then I was like I would just I'm talking said, about like me, Louis. Yeah, I was like I was like I just got, we got it tomorrow. We got to go there. I'm go just gonna have a fucking great bottle of wine. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. Bottle of Burgundy and, and chicken, and, and, and you're chicken, good. And you're good to go.
1: So that was the concept. That concept or the, the kind of raison So of, good. Charlie that but. is
0: so good. And then Pasquale
1: thinking. Jones is like we kept saying to ourselves. I want to eat a great pizza, drink a great bottle of wine, at a nice glassware served by people who know what they're doing, and listen to good music. Why can't I do that? Because everything was a compromise. You could eat a great pizza. But it was going to be in kind of a dingy, shitty place. You had to drive like an hour into Brooklyn for it. Let's, you... let's
0: pause here on pizza though because I just – because – so you're from Jersey. Yeah. You've lived in New York. Better pizza in New York or New Jersey. It's
1: tough, right? Because the pizza thing in New York is much more about sitting down and having a whole pie. Yeah. You exclude Joe's or maybe Prince Street or like – the slice game isn't really tight in New York.
0: No. But most of the – If you were trying to tell somebody about New York pizza, you wouldn't take them to um... – Sbarros, you wouldn't take you wouldn't take like someone who was like a vice president candidate don't get ang- from don't, Alaska and then take him to Don't get We're talking now. about we're
1: a peaceful fucking conversation. <laughs> know, right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. why are those fighting words and shit? Yeah. But I think that I think the Jersey Slice game is tight. You know what I mean? Like I think you like even like on the boardwalk in Jersey. Dude, Shore, can,
0: I remember it his mall. If you go to Lucas. It was seventy five cents. You, fucking thin,
1: crisp, tight, tight oh, the whole tight. game. Yeah, so I get what you're saying. Man. But like Joe's downtown is like. Got that vibe and and granted I've eaten more of that because I'm drunk at 2 in the morning. You know, that's the place I eat. But there's not a lot of good slice situation. But the pizza-pizza thing, especially now, people are are coming correct.
0: Okay. So then I'm going to throw the curveball at you. You had pie in Connecticut? You had New Haven pizza?
1: All right. This is tough for me to say (laughs) because I I, I respect my elders. And all that Pepe's, they've been around for a, a long time. I went to Pepe's. And, you know, Charlie Bird – I mean, uh, Pasquale Jones was kind of famous for a clam pie, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so my partner and I, Grant, would go up there. We're doing some work at some client's house. And we're like, let's stop in New Haven. Let's eat some clam pie. And it's a fucking rigmarole. Like, oh, it's a thing. Like, you got to – it's kind of a headache. There's like a line out the door. Gotta I don't know. know like, someone, bro. You know what I mean? You, then you go, you sit down, and they like – you're you're at a table number and you're num you're like i now you're identified i'm at table twenty four now i'm twenty four right like they give you a plastic covered menu that's like crinkly and all jacked and it's got like all this souvenir shit that you're supposed to all chotch keys and shit you're supposed to buy and then like some like like, Hag comes over, like, what do you want? And you're like, <laughs> What the fuck? Like, can't we have a little bit of an experience? Can we have, like, a little you, bit of you hosp- get, You're getting a New Haven experience, bro. And, like, and so they served us, we were we three pizzas, because we're like, yep, fuck, this you, shit. yeah. And they all sucked. Wow. And I, I have to say, I threw it out there, I put it on Instagram, because on Pepe's throws it out there, like, best pizza, best. They do pizza win in the every world, year. Or some bullshit like that. Right. So I was like, every so I year. had to, like, take a picture of that fucked up pizza. With that sign, and I just throw that out there, and I kind of got, you know, <laughs> I got dragged a little bit. But for the most part, people were like, good for you, stand, yeah, you know, stand like.
0: Now my wife's from New Haven, so yes. she's gonna, so she's gonna yeah, be so
1: like, she, she think the emperor has no, clothes
0: on. No, right? but no, but 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 um, modern, not Pepe's modern pizza moderner beats that's okay. the one all right uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah so you know maybe maybe you know when things turns up you know you you know you're sure. from you were born in rhode island maybe yeah. you take a trip up to
1: newport listen i, I want new haven to have good pizza like, I, I you know you know but you personally just-
0: i mean i i need to find a good place in new york i like i said i think jersey the slice game is so good yeah. um there's a little piece there's a place like on where i grew up there was one block it was a mafia block because it only way you could have three fucking italian restaurants literally one was on this corner you had tony's you had Tuzios, and you had nunzios they were they were literally across one were across the street and one was right next to each other there's the only way you could do that because this crew goes here this crew goes here this crew goes there um but uh nunzios was Did you always, bring a vest you know <laughs> <laughs> you know but uh yeah so okay so i was just curious i because I, I, so oh, that's a fair question yeah man that's, that's... it's kind of like the bagel question oh fuck come on man I don't know. I just know when it comes to bagels and um and pizza, I mean because I lived in California for 10
1: years, like it's yeah. the water, bro. Yeah. It's oh, the water. Hey, you were having Wonder Bread for a while. Oh, my there.
0: God. So bad. So bad. The best pizza was Trader Joe's frozen <laughs> Neapolitan pizza. Literally, and I'm doctor up myself. That was the best pizza <laughs> But in SF's Calvary. got some good pizza, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. So well, I was down SF. in Santa Barbara. Yeah. You yeah. know, SF is so international, man. Yeah. You know, and but um, so, so you guys do that. You want a pizza out of, and you want a nice glass of Barbera yeah. out of a very nice glass.
1: You know, these are simple requests. Mm. We're simple people i'm
0: you know? i'm I'm all about the simplicity you know like don't make it too fancy like you know like some of the best meals are like five ingredients man and just a great wine exactly. and, and great service so so then how'd you um
1: end up starting grand crew so Grand crew started this is like again it's a little bit by chance in a way um we started it was a spin off of a of an import company that that Roy had invested in um that you know, the other partner, we, we didn't end up seeing eye to eye and we kind of like just spun it off and kept the fine wine part of it. And so we ended up just working with um, – so Ned Benedict, um, who really was the founding partner that, that really ran it, um, was really close with Becky Wasserman from from the Survey in Burgundy mm-hmm. and they've been friends forever. Mm-hmm. And um, we started with two of her, her growers in Burgundy, Domaine it was a, a young guy named David Croix who just had just started his own domain mm-hmm. and domaine du Comte-Lige de Bel Air. This was before Louis Michel was like king of the world. He was still <laughs> like figuring it, you know, figuring all the stuff out, right? And that so, was
0: one of Dustin's. He, he's like one of his greatest moments. Was like they tasted like back to eighteen something. Yeah, from the domain he it was he, crazy. Yeah, that shit's crazy. That was a good
1: day. <laughs> you were there too. See, see, balling. <laughs> Well, we're his importer. We've been, we've been buying his wine <laughs> since day one. So, so, uh, so we started that. You know, 2009 we really started. Ned and I worked together at Zaki's. and um, and we would we would like take the train home, and we'd end up going to Washington Park where Roy was, and we'd just end up just drinking a bunch of wine together, and we st- end up starting this company because we kept getting asked by growers like, "Hey, we're having trouble with our distribu- distribution in New York. Who do you recommend?" And we'd recommend someone, and we kept figuring out like we kept. We kept getting these same questions. We had these great relationships. We kind of knew what they needed because realistically being an importer is really just being an advocate, a kind of, a kind of an, an ambassador for the grower, mm-hmm. right? You're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how do you – the best ambassador for a grower's wine is them, but they have right. jobs to do and right. they don't live in New York. And so you, you try to spend as much time with them, listen, and, and try, to, um, try to articulate their passion and purpose to a buyer, Right, and if you spend enough time with these people, the, you you kind of you you know the stories, you know the little shorthand. A lot of it's storytelling, a lot of it's about philosophy, about point of view, about perspective. And sure, and we felt like over the years we'd spent a lot of time with a bunch of these growers, and we felt like we could tell that story on their behalf. And so we thought, why not us? Why do we keep outsourcing this to all these other people who maybe or maybe aren't doing as good a job as we could? And so we started really small, and it was we were working out of Roy's office on Fifty Seventh Street, and. And uh, over time, you know, a lot of these these winemakers who remembered, you know, Ned from Zaki's, or when he was working at Boulet or at Oriole, or me from Crew, would call and be like, "Hey, you guys! I heard you guys started a business. Can mm-hmm. we? Can we? Are you?" taking new people and so all of a sudden we'd have like a couple producers from california we had a couple producers from Friuli. and then we added to our burgundy thing and then we bought this our, my friend liz who i was talking about earlier who helped me out with the whole jordan situation mm-hmm. had her own company so we brought her in she brought Chav with that and some some That's little experience baller, bro. and all of a sudden we started the, you know then we bought these vineyards in burgundy and then all of a sudden we had some rouleau and Lafon in our portfolio and all of a sudden we're like wow, we're like a real fucking company. You know, we had to hire people and we had to like (laughs) figure it out. And we kind of bootstrapped that situation for a number of years. I was working, you know, as like a consultant, for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. between the restaurants and the import business because of this SLA bullshit. But it's not even worth getting down that rabbit hole because it's so antiquated. Nobody, with any fucking common sense would understand what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to let it go.
0: All I can say is fucking, I'm, I'm 21. I should be able to get wine wherever I live from whoever I want.
1: Yeah, but that's not how it goes. I know. So I don't get like, – like I know. I know. We, this it, is a separate seven-hour conversation <laughs> only for like really current law grads. <laughs> it's so Byzantine. <laughs> anyway, so I'm working during the day with Ned at Grand Cru and doing private client shit and doing vineyard work stuff. And, and then I had to work at the restaurants. And that was going really, really well. And so that that's how we kept building that business where Ned ran the sales and – kind of ran the team and i would help with supplier relations i speak a little french so we spent a lot of time in france and um and we just kept growing the business like just actually for whatever reason it kept doing better every year and uh and it was going well and we're doing doing really well we opened then the restaurants kept opening new restaurants we had all these like um we were supposed to open like a Pasquale Jones in Singapore and in Las Vegas oh, and all that, all this crazy shit like we were supposed to open this hotel in Midtown and all this stuff and then um July of 2019 Ned uh we're at our best fucking place we just celebrated his 60th birthday in Spain and he goes to Mallorca and he and he he, he falls to, uh, off a ledge and dies tragically suddenly for no yeah. reason
0: jeez i and, remember reading about that oh it's crazy that, that's that's devastating man
1: no, don't like devastating no i mean hard like hard because it was so it it was so um just senseless like any one of three or four steps that had could have been taken very easily any one of them could have averted that Mm -hmm. tragedy Mm -hmm. and something as stupid as like he didn't have his glasses on he didn't have his phone on he was running late to pick up his all these things that could like very easily could just could have like gone the other way would have he would still be here and and so um, because of that, um, I had a really hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. I had to decide, do I – do we sell the company? Um, do we try to find someone to run it while I kind of, again, straddle both both worlds? Do I leave the restaurants and run Grown Crew full time? Because like, you can't consult even mm-hmm. for restaurants and be on a liquor license for an import business. So. I end up taking like two months um, of like processing all the shit that goes with that that kind of event, and kind of coming to this re- realization. That was really evident from day one, but it took me a a long time to get there. Of like, there's only one choice, and that choice is to divest of any interest in the restaurants or any time with them, and um, work at Grand Crew full time, run Grand Crew full time, and. Uh, not try to replace Ned because there's no way you can do that. But you try to, like, make it your own in yeah, a way. Yeah. And so that's and that's what I do now. On a daily basis, I I work just really one full-time job.
0: Yeah. I, was, I mean, normally I ask people a question, like, was there ever a time where you, you questioned what you were doing in the business? That would seem like a time where you would...
1: Yeah. I, that question is still shut every day. To pause. That's what Andre said every fucking day, man. You know, because... Because, like Andre, I'm uh, I'm I'm a hospitality professional. Like, that's yep. my job. That's yep. what I do. Like, yep. my, you know, I, that's the muscle I've built over 30 years. And and you know that expression when when uh, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yep. I'm a hammer, and I feel like every problem is solved through a hospitality way of thinking and 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 that's the You know what case. they
0: say man you get more flies with honey
1: yeah, than yeah. vinegar and that's hospitality yeah, like, yeah that is a lot of it right you, you know it's like, a part of it but. it's a part of it and so i do think that like the team building and team leadership and and all that comes through and relationships is all about how you put yourself out there and make yourself available and you're genuine and, and, and authenticity is really transparent that works for a lot of the 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 parts of the business, but then there's a real merchant part of the business where it's just straight trading dollars, yep. and that's less about hospitality. Right, and that's the thing that I'm still learning. Yeah. So,
0: how have you been affected <clears throat> since the outbreak? Because I, I would think a lot of your wines are were probably restaurant only yeah, at some sure. point. So, how 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 have you been able to weather the storm? And
1: it's been tough, right? It's been we've, we've had a ch- we had a. Ch- you know, the word pivot's overused, but we really had to change direction, change course in a way. We had a good, small contingent of very um, knowledgeable, experienced, high-end wine shops, mm-hmm. not not like a lot of retail, mm-hmm. but like 20 really good core people who believed in our mission in right. a way, right? Right. And then we sold like 60-something per percent of our wine to restaurants. So mm-hmm. that's when when 60 percent goes to zero... Right, and you have a couple million dollars of inventory. You got to figure out what to do, mm. and so um, that's what we've been doing. But you know that coupled with the senseless tariff game that the Trump administration oh my placed on. Fucking god, we had Mary Taylor
0: on into, and she just went because she testified. To she just, oh, dude,
1: it's fucking crazy. It, it, it's, There's no reason. It's like it's so punitive for. Do you think that Jeremy Sess has a direct line to Macron to say, "Hey, you know what? I think that the Airbus subsidies that you guys have are really misplaced, <laughs> yeah. and I, and it's really affecting our business. Right. And as a constituent of yours, I think you should change course. Get the fuck out of here! Like, yeah. there's no way a grower, any of these people yep. have the have the swag right. to move right. French foreign policy right. the for way Airbus, the way
0: Americans do.
1: Yeah, yeah you no, know, you no, know, for sure, it's a different thing. But but more than that, it's an industry like Airbus is tens and tens of billions of dollars greater than any one industry and every one of them all diff- – they're all diffuse, right? There's no one winemaker's union that right. they're all going to rally right. through to get these things turned over. So Airbus is paying a 10% tariff right. for being the the, the chief culprit of, of this WTO claim and the winemakers have 25% tariff yeah. and that all goes through to consumers. Yep. And – of course Trump thinks that the, the wineries are that France is paying the fucking tariff. Right. But in fact it's you and me. Right. Right. At the totally. end of the day. Totally.
0: And, and 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 you know, I mean, it's and I would I would hear stupid asses say like, "Well, if you're drinking American wine, every fucking winemaker I know in California is like, this is bad for business, man."
1: It's terrible for me because there's a wine ecosystem. This <laughs> right. is the thing that no one understands outside of our industry. You're like, "Oh, well, If we change the way wines are imported or if we have more strict regulations about how you should sell older vintage wines, you know, there's these primary source laws and all these things, then we can keep buyers from only buying from the source they're supposed to. No, they're not. They're just going to do – they're going to do whatever they have to do to get old wine for their purposes because people who have money – aren't drinking 2018 well, Grand Cru wines. They're right. not. They're drinking 1990s and 1985s yep. and blah, blah, blah. So the idea that it, that is an, it is a completely connected ecosystem, and if if Grand Cru selections goes under because of wine tariffs, the dozen Oregon and California wine producers we have don't have distribution mm-hmm. to the right. hundreds and hundreds of restaurants that we sell to. Yep. And what does that do for them? Right, right. It's so nearsighted. I mean, it's like it is the – it's as dumb – foreign policy and economic policy as you would expect from a guy like Donald Trump. It's well, as stupid. Know, I mean, it's one of those
0: things where people would talk about this shit all the time, like, oh, politicians. No! You need a politician to be a politician. It's a job. It's a skill set. You don't want... Listen, you don't want somebody – you can't just walk off the street and say, I want to play basketball, play NBA
1: basketball. Like, everything has levels, bro. Would you get on an airplane and be like, hey, it's my first time playing airplane, but I'm really passionate about flying?
0: Wait, have, oh, fuck, I know, have you seen that? It was going around where they were like at a hospital. It was like, we can have this doctor do it or this clown. Right. <laughs> and the clown's like – he's like, no, he's literally a clown. It's like, yeah, but is he funny? Like, it Like – and right. I was, it, was, it was obviously it was a spoof on yeah, our but how many, political situation. How many, how many Twitter followers does that clown have? Like exactly. That's what we're talking that's about. That's exactly like literally used to say all the time. It's a popularity contest. And. Uh, no, it's not. It, it, no, but, <laughs> but 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 but, but it, it, it's like this is the this is the thing reality tv people get desensitized etc and so on ba 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 right and and um but yeah i mean like that's got to be and i've seen some of your posts like you're, you're like you said you're very fucking vocal about it as you would be isn't it yeah. you know like
1: don't Not fuck as bad with don't my fuck. wife my wife she don't fuck with her she's angry <laughs> she like she hates Donald trump she doesn't didn't give a fuck about politics 2016 <laughs> that girl is wound up <laughs> And good for and good for her. Like, I love. By the way, that's the single, the only positive that came out of Donald Trump is it motivated a generation her, yeah. of apathetic. Yep. Mostly millennial yep. and older. And, and in fact, Americans, just apathetic Americans who didn't really think that politics affected them on a daily basis. Right. Now they know. Right.
0: Right. Wait, why Why is, why is my why is my Dublin or cheddar cheese cost $2 more? All that shit. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, exactly. How come, how come Brie went through the roof? Yeah, oh. That's
1: why 155 million people voted this year. Yeah. Not, it's not it's – not, it wasn't a coincidence.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like,
0: I mean, you've weathered – I mean – a great story, but and in and all, I could hear there's a lot of adversity. You've weathered some serious storms, man. Like, uh, what's uh, what what's 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 the plan? What where, where, what's the plan for the next five years
1: or so? Uh, I don't know. That's a question that people don't believe me that I just don't like. Every at, at, my whole life has been like, I'm just gonna do the thing, and when there's an op, there's a choice to go left or right, I'm gonna figure out at that moment. Right. But I don't really have a grand plan yep. at this point much to my wife's chagrin because I kind of like, I don't really, I just kind of... What are
0: you loving your life right now? I, like I, with well, your wife and your kids? Oh, I mean. dude, that's a,
1: oh, it's so good. And that's the, yeah. I have to say the, the the pandemic was really hard mostly for, for work reasons and, and, right. and uncertainty and whether... We'd be able to grow our business, whether we keep our staff and whether all these things, and and also the the survivor's guilt you have of having a job when you have thousands of friends in the hospitality industry that are out of work mm-hmm. or that are seesawing or up and down. They get a job and they get furloughed and they get another job they get furloughed. It's just crazy. But the best thing is, I spent more time with our family. This I cooked like lunch and dinner every day for months. It was great. We had a blast. I got. Henry had a half hour of school a day. It was like, this is a joke. You know know what I mean? It was like, whatever. I'm like, it was so much fun. And and then we'd be like, let's, he's like, let's get some ice cream. I'm like, let's get some ice cream. We bought a boat for some reason. And um, (laughs) I've never driven a boat before, but I bought a boat this summer. And I'll be like, sure, let's go to Greenport. Like, we'd take an hour boat ride to go get ice cream because what the fuck else were we going to do? You know what I mean? It was great. We had a blast. I spent so much time. And, um, Jordan, she's a hustler. She works a lot. She, and especially the summer is a big thing for Ramona. It's a, it's like a really busy, busy time. Yeah. And she's like, she's got a hundred side hustles too. She's, she's got a podcast. Yeah. She's writing a yep. book. She's got, Another she's, book you know, she's one. like, she's like got seven things going on. And she's also a very, she's very good at follow up. She, when she meets someone, she like writes them. Yep. She like, she's very thoughtful. So she's got like, she, fills up her plate and and i'd be like all right well henry and i'm gonna get some ice cream you know I, mean? like, <laughs> I'm like, I know you got like a hundred hours of work to do but we're gonna get some ice cream yeah you know we're gonna get some ice cream you know we're what i mean boat. and, yeah. and uh, listen that's one of the reasons it's one of, one of the reasons we're so drawn to each other but you know she's she's motivated she's she's hungry she's still at you know at her you know after seeing some success she's still like she's the one you should ask what's next because she's got seven answers for you yeah, I, yeah. I, i'm just like I don't know I would like to ski some more like that, that that's what I'd like to do like that's my goal like maybe skiing a little bit more or maybe i don't know <laughs> I love it so man so all that you talk about all this stuff man all these wines like
0: what's like your most memorable wine experience man
1: Wow um silence.
0: I asked the tough questions no, the,
1: the... did you order the code red <laughs> <laughs> you know the the thing about the thing about wine isn't the the most memorable moment isn't the the quality or the rarity or the cost of the wine that you sure, drank it's, it's, it's really it's obviously the setting and so yeah. there are so many moments where i look across the table at, at friends and family and mostly my wife where we're drinking some great bottle of wine but we're in this incredible setting and we're mm-hmm. just we're 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 really like just blessed to be where we are at that moment i wouldn't say there's any one to distill it to one thing it's it's like it's for the reason that we're not drinking a grand Cru selection wine right, right. because to try to choose favorites Amongst a whole bunch of things that you really care about is really not super fair to to anybody, and and um that that game of like what's the wine of the night is a game I don't play either because it's like hey we drank twelve unbelievable bottles of wine but this one wine right, it's just right. not it's not super it's just not fair so I wouldn't I, I'm gonna respectfully decline that answer because it's not that I've had I mean I have actually had an abundance of, of 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 opportunities but it's mostly because. There are so many singular moments that I can think of that are so important and meaningful to me that. Have wine involved in them?
0: He trying to bullshit me from Drew. He he's just had so much fucking great wine. I
1: had some fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, i like you, I'm not, I'm not, like, no, like, no. like 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 no no no. One hundred twenty
0: thousand bo- One hundred twenty thousand.
1: No no. I'm embarrassed. I'm, <laughs>
0: I'm
1: embarrassed. I love that about you.
0: You are so humble, man. I'm yeah, embarrassed I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, to say how much wine I've had. That's but been fucking crazy. but 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 like like you could say, come on, bro, I'm from You'd be Like you know, dude, I just had so much good no, shit. It's, no, it's crazy. You know, and it's, I love and I and I love people. And I you know like it could be you know. I get it, man. But like
1: – No, there's not going to be a bottle. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Magnum of 29 Romani Conti I had at DRC happened to be really great. Yeah, of course it happened to be really great. But yeah, of course it's it not happened like, like – but. but you know what? When Jean-Louis chauve opens a bottle of 1921 Hermitage Blanc, 1929 Hermitage Blanc. Blanc? And you're like, wow. What? And then he opens that same wine but vend five years later. And he's like, "Do you remember the white?" We-? I'm like, "Yeah, of course, I fucking remember the white we had." This is the Vendee pie, and you're like, you're having that conversation. That's that's really special. I drink it with his dad yeah. at a ceremony that they're they're talking about how important Hermitage is to the French culture. Yeah, that's a great moment. Like, I can't say that that's not an amazing moment. That's great, but my wife wasn't there, right? And so yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not, you know, or good answer. So and I it's genuine, but it's it's a great answer, dude. It's hard because like there's so many of those incredible moments where you you know. Listen, the wines that these guys brought from our bachelor party in Aspen in 2008—sounds fucking bananas, yeah. right? And like every one of those things, each one of those, these guys brought a bottle of wine, a magnum because we were a large, we were ten people. They were, they were all really—they thought about what's the wine that I would really want to drink from their collection, right. and that, that's. That's powerful. That's the beauty of wine. I and mean, it it sounds so corny, but the whole fucking game is finding people who share that thing, that passion, that that, that generosity of spirit, which is this, one of the great things you can have. Empathy, generosity of spirit, and selflessness is like they're, they're all wrapped up. And when you can surround yourselves and you can self-select those people, you have unlimited number of opportunities and experiences because you've decided that you're going to surround yourself with like-minded people. And that's – to then choose which one of those is best of all of them is kind of unfair. Well,
0: man, I got to tell you, I want to thank you for your generosity of spirit. I want to thank you for uh, providing me with yet another singular wine experience, bringing a bottle (laughs) of wine that I I will never have again and would never have had but for you being here. And just thank you for um, – you're just – I I have a good sense. You're a good person. Like I have a good sense. But I like okay. you're you're just, you're just a really intelligent, caring, loving, kind, kick-ass kind of Jersey boy like myself. So I've been a real pleasure having you here, Robert. Thank you. Thank My pleasure. you. Thanks for having. me. And. um <clears throat> Tell people where they can find you, man, or how they can be a part of what you're doing, man. You know, I know you're kind of uh, below the radar yeah, I like kind to of keep guy. Keep it below
1: the radar. So you know, yeah.
0: So you know, he, he owns Grand Cru Selections. Go buy. He didn't he didn't pimp his own wine. He bring it here. So go buy. You know, yeah. next time you're in a store, turn it around. See if it says Grand Cru Selections on it, right? Yeah, that's And uh, that's what you can do for Robert. So, hey guys, it's MJ. Until next time, here's to the Mavericks, the philosophers, <laughs> the deep thinkers, and of course, all your wine drinkers. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. We want to thank our supporter, the Conaway Fund, a component of the Prosperity Foundation, which supports cultural and heritage events, scholarships, mentoring programs, and more. Go to theconawayfund.org and see how you can donate and make a difference in underserved communities.